You know, we started a couple weeks back a uh, kind of a little series that's kind of grown into that. Uh, just you said, how many know there are things that were said by Christ or that said in Scripture, uh, but most of these were focusing on words of Christ, things that Christ said, uh, because I believe that they have so much impact. And so many times, I mean, there are, there are many times we can, there's things that he said that we're so familiar with that even when we read them, we can just kind of blow past them and not really stop and break down exactly what is being said. Because so many times in Scripture, so much is said in every single sentence. And one of, the, one of the most incredible times is, that we find in Scripture is in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in his, in his incredible Sermon on the Mount lays out so much. He spoke so differently than anybody else spoke during that time. And so we've been kind of walking through some of those, and we're going to be getting into that as we talk about, I've kind of given today's message the title, Bless Your Heart. I find it interesting how much we attribute to the heart. You know, science tries to tell us that it's just a muscle that pumps blood throughout our, our, our bodies, and, and there's some truth to that. Obviously, if that quits working, you're in trouble. But there's other things that we, that we kind of attach to the heart. We attach the motion of love to the heart. You know, after all these years watching Kim just now uh, leading people in worship, singing the Revelation song, I have to admit that, that my heart fluttered a little bit still because watching the woman that God gave me lead us in worship and the beauty of that, I still adore her. When we talk about the, getting to the center of a matter, we talk about getting to the heart of the matter. We talk about our motivations for our actions. We talk about whether or not somebody's heart was in the right place. We talk about purity or we talk about evil. We talk about somebody having a pure heart or an evil heart. That's a whole lot of stuff assigned to a blood-pumping muscle. You know, concerning that, we're about to get into June, and it was early June three years ago that I had a little bit of a wake-up call concerning the heart. You know, I don't even think about it anymore, hardly, but, but it's one of those things that it actually did happen. You know, I don't wake up in fear. I don't, I mean, life is great. You know, God is blessed. There's been a lot of healing and, and, and everything, you know, um, we just recently had an opportunity, we uh, did some adjustment on insurance, and, and one of the questions that was asked was, what kind of medications are you on? And I was able to say that literally there is one medical pill I take daily, and that is it. But I'll never forget that wake-up call, because it, did, it was kind of a wake-up call. I was actually in the church here. I'd actually come into the sanctuary to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And all of a sudden, I felt a tightness in the center of my chest. And then I really began to feel some discomfort down my left arm. And, and um, I'd been into enough hospitals to visit people that had, had things happen. I kind of immediately knew what was going on. And instead of calling 911, Alicia, the admin assistant at the time, was here. And I said, I think maybe you need to take me to the hospital. That ride itself was adventurous enough, but we're, you know. But then I get there and they tell me I'm just to be safe that they're going to put me on a helicopter for a helicopter ride to Presby, Dallas. That is not the way I wanted my first helicopter ride to go. But you know what's so wonderful? Even in the midst of all that, there was a peace. I was never in fear because I knew. Even if what we consider the worst happened, I knew what my destination was. There was no doubt, no fear. I can't tell you how much at peace I was during that time. But it was a wake-up call. Since then, I've lost about 40 pounds and trying to be careful from what I, what I do and make sure I get exercise, although it's a little harder to go to the gym now. But hopefully that will change shortly. 
Well, statistically, they tell us that more than one million Americans each year die from heart disease. You know, when we're young, we don't give that much thought, do we? I mean, I, my, my first job was at, uh, was at a Sonic drive-in, and the owner was such a nice man that uh, if you worked, you could have whatever you wanted on the menu for your mealtime, and man, I concocted some amazing things, you know. Um, I could eat like that back then, and it didn't seem like it would affect me. But as we age, we certainly should keep track of things and, and, and keep a check on the condition of our heart. We see all kinds of commercials these days talking about this item as heart healthy and that item as heart healthy. Recently, I'd gone to my doctor's office and was there for a little IV treatment that, that I do periodically just to make sure that everything is as it should be. And and uh, was sitting there, and the doctor was holding this little class, and just right off to the side from where I was at it, I could overhear what was being said. And, and he explained something that just really caught my attention. Because he was talking about how, you know, cholesterol used to be the, the villain, but now they're finding more and more that the real, it looks like the real underlying thing is inflammation, because if that the inflammation is where the cholesterol sticks, and if there's no inflammation, it has nowhere to stick. And so now, science is beginning to move towards more towards treating of inflammation as a part of that overall care. Because the body's inflammatory response to that area is, that is where the cholesterol sticks. <clears throat> so I was thinking about that. Scripture also tells us the importance of a clean heart. Science tries to tell us that it's all about the brain. But there is something about the heart. Once again, we're starting to come back around to the idea that maybe the heart is more than just a blood-pumping muscle. Probably three, four years ago, I was sitting down. You may ever have one of those times that you got all these channels and there's nothing to watch. Right? And so... Of course, now you can stream all kinds of stuff, so it makes it a little easier to find something. But I was, you know, several years back, I was flipping through channels, and I ran across this little documentary that was talking about various things. And I don't even remember what the show was. I just remember this one little story that they told was about a, about a, a um, an individual that had a heart transplant. And... As they had this heart transplant and was beginning to live their life, and life was beginning to get back to normal for them, <clears throat> the person that got the transplant was contacted by the fiancé of the person who died whose heart they now had. And so this fiancé just wanted to meet the person that was alive because of the donation of her fiancé. And the interesting thing about this story that caught my attention was that, that this person was sitting there, never met this individual before in, in their life, and this lady comes walking in, and he made this statement. He said, I'd never seen her before, had no feelings for her, was actually just a little bit kind of, you know, why does she want to meet me for? He said, but the second my eyes laid on her, I felt a reaction in my heart. But isn't that interesting? That in some way, you know, all these things that are attributed to the heart, and we, and scientifically we try to say that that doesn't have anything to do with it, that there's actually the occasional evidence that maybe there is more to the heart than just a muscle that plumps blood. But regardless of it all, Scripture talks about what it means. It talks about the heart as being our inner being. And so we should be equally and perhaps even more concerned about our heart's impurity. That ought to be something that is a priority to us. Because this type of heart disease, if it's not cured, will lead to spiritual death. And believe it or not, that is the worst kind. Left unchecked, it will cause an inflammatory response to God's desire for our lives. It will cause a buildup of resentment. Of the things of God and His church and His people. 
I have many times run across people that have allowed this resentment and this this stuff to build up so much that there's a visible wall there that you start talking about Jesus or anything at any moment, you can instantly see that there's a barrier that is there. And the final result we know of, of being in that kind of situation is what the scripture calls the second death. A person who is spiritually dead for eternity. I know that we talk about the fires of hell and we talk about the punishment and all those kind of things. But make no mistake, that's going to be bad enough. But to me, the worst thing of all out of the whole thing will be to know that there is no hope. That your situation will never change. And that you are eternally separated from God. That's what scripture calls the second death. And so Jesus' Sermon on the Mount deal with a lot of that, but especially with the heart. He said in Matthew 5, 8, you've probably all heard it a thousand times, but he makes this statement, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And that's a short, simple statement. And it's easy for us to read that statement and to glance past it. Oh, yeah, those that, those that are pure in heart, they're going to make it to heaven one day. But that's just a tiny sliver of what is being said here. You think of it by contrast, what Jesus is telling us here, that there is a spiritual heart disease that can be avoided by having a pure heart. So as I thought about that, three questions over the scripture kind of rose to my mind. What does the Bible really mean when it calls them blessed? Because I think there's some things we can learn from that. Just who are these people that are pure in heart? Because if we know who they are, it kind of helps us know how to get there. And how will they see God? Is there more to it than just one day making it to heaven? So let's look at those for a few moments this morning. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be truly blessed? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches us in this famous Sermon on the Mount, and he includes what, what we call the Beatitudes. I've always remembered it this way. If those are the attitudes that we should be living in. The Beatitudes, the ones that we should have. Now there's certain... Now, if you think about that, they're the attitudes that will be blessed. Now, I, I thought about that, though. If you look at the list here, right there associated around verse 8, they're not the most exciting things we would consider. And I thought about this. You know, used to, probably all of us, when we were little kids, or we hear little kids pray this prayer, Lord God, bless, bless Mommy and Daddy and Aunt Susie. But is this what they're praying when they're saying blessed? Because if you really get down to what Jesus said, then that would mean they were actually praying, Lord, let them be poor in spirit, hungry, thirsty, meek, mournful, pure peacemakers that are persecuted. But those are, that's the list of who Jesus said would be Blessed. So what does it mean to be blessed in this context? The Good News Bible uses, translates the word for blessed into happy. Now, technically, that is a legitimate translation of the word, but that doesn't capture the whole meaning. Happy are those who are persecuted? Don't think so. Now, I don't believe that, that translation captures the whole thing. When you and I think of happy, we think of feeling good. You woke up even this morning when the alarm went off and you, you were feeling happy or you weren't feeling happy. Maybe you were happy that you get to get out of the house and come to church or maybe you weren't happy because you wanted a few more hours sleep than you got. I don't know. But we work hard to try to be happy. We even try to buy it. And this world is willing to try to sell it to us. I mean, who knew that if you got the right shaving cream, you could be happy? <laughs> who knew that they would 
They would actually package a meal that is not heart healthy and call it a happy meal. You know, so there's whole, there's, there's whole industries, amusement parks, cruise ships, all these things that, of course, cruise ships are kind of in trouble right now. We went on one in November, and I thought, wow, whew, we escaped that one. <laughs> but why would Jesus associate blessings with so many things we would consider to be unhappy things? What was he trying to say? I think he was trying to ta- let us know that happiness is temporary. Even the most positive, upbeat people that you know in the world that seem to be happy all the time, guess what? Even they have days when they're not happy. We all face sorrows. We all face sadness. We all face down days. But to be blessed is a very different experience. Bless has more to do with the condition of our souls. It has more to do with our inner being. It has more to do with our hearts. One of my favorite songs that our worship team does is It Is Well With My Soul. Because even in the midst of all the junk, even though right now when you turn on the TV, all you see is gloom and doom and they give you all the worst case predictions and, and all these things. And, and you, know, you try to sit down and watch a little TV or something, try to escape for a little bit. And every other commercial is reminding you of what's going on. It's like, I just want to unplug for a minute. But we all face those things. And... It's not so much what he's talking about here being blessed is not so much as enjoying ourselves, but having this deep, satisfying feeling and understanding and knowing that it is well with my soul. Just like when I was in that helicopter flying over Lake Ray Hubbard headed towards Dallas. To know that even though I was in pain, it was well with my soul. That is priceless. It is priceless. Having this sense of living in harmony with God is our true purpose. So to be blessed then is not some temporary condition. It's a long-term state of being. You know, have you ever found, have you ever seen that person? You know, I, I know that this last year we laid Lily and McDaniel to rest and had the funeral, but I'll never forget as many times as she was in the hospital, as many times as I made the to drive to, to Greenville or wherever it was to visit her in the hospital and, and the difficulties that she was facing, even when she got the prognosis that she wasn't going to make it despite a miracle. Last time Kim and I went to visit her, we left uplifted because of her heart and her attitude. And she knew, even in the midst of that prognosis, that she was blessed. She knew what her destination was. See, the truth is, we can't bless ourselves. Only God can bless us. There is something about being blessed. You know, I, I've seen God's blessing so many times in my life. Things that you pray for. I mean, a lot of you know recently we moved a little closer to the church and bought a house and, and they were th- just... One of the things that just really hit us, just to show how intricately God cares, is a lot of the little things that we mention, it'd be neat if, right? Be neat if we had this. Be neat if the driveway was this way. Be neat if there was gas already pumped out to the back patio so we could just hook the grill up directly. Just little things like that that are just not that big a deal. And yet the one that we settled on, the house we settled on, that we got the best deal on, had virtually every single thing that we had said 
will be something we'd like to see, things that we thought would never happen, especially all together. It's not material things, but we know that when you're that sometimes when you have that relationship that God just smiles on you, and even the little things you just mentioned, He just says, "You know what? I'm going to give you that." It's living life blessed. It's it's knowing that that you've got a good marriage and a good family, and 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 even if you don't have those things, you can still be blessed. But there is something about walking in the blessing of God, being blessed. So Jesus promises, blessed are the pure in heart. Does that mean you get everything you want every time you want it? No, but there are those moments you just get those God smile moments. And he does it. I guess I could sum this one up in Psalm 32 too, where it says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it means to have a pure heart for a few moments. How do we measure the purity of something? Well, if you're purchasing gold or silver, what do they do? They, they look at it and they would look at how pure it is. Does it have any other junk in there besides what you're buying? So the purer it is, the more valuable it is. Matter of fact, the way they purify it is they melt it down and they get all the junk to float to the top and they pull that off and out of the way because the more junk they can get out of it, the purer the gold is or whatever it is. And and so there's a purification process. And the heart, the purer it is, the more valuable. And the heart is is one that is not supposed to be mixed up with wrong desires and things. If we want a pure heart, we need to get, we need to remove the lustful, quarrelsome, jealous, bitter, greedy, and deceitful thoughts. Those are the things that need to be pulled out. You know, to me, I was I was looking at this, and my mind thought of when Philip introduced Nathaniel to Jesus. And to me, this is so powerful. In John 147, it says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to, of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit or no fault, depending upon your translation, or nothing false. I don't know about you, but I thought about that. Is Nothing false, no deceit. I mean, can you think of any better compliment Jesus could give you than to say that about you? When he just, when he just later would make this statement, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. He basically told Nathaniel right there when he first met him, you know, you're pure, pure of heart. That ought to be what we all strive for. In the New Testament, the word is used for pure is used 28 times. So what does it mean? It's obviously important. Are the pure in heart people that somehow have no normal human desires or feelings? They just go around in this holy, pious attitude all the time? No. We're, we're, we're not wired that way to be that way all the time. We all have emotions. We all have desires. We all have things that get on our last nerve. Are they saints that have lost all contact with the real world? No, of course not. Jesus is simply saying there's a better way. Which if follow will lead us to a blessed life. John 10.10, I know I quote this scripture often, but it says the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus desires that for us. I think the best way to sum it up, what a pure heart is, is to describe a battle I'm facing right now. The lawn at our house, sit there for a while. 
And there's some very stubborn weeds there that I have already in this short time fought and fought. I have treated the lawn three times myself. And there's some of them that you spray the stuff on and it says in three hours you will see a difference. Yeah, they're about this much taller. It's a battle. But what if we looked at our heart as a garden for the Lord? One that we should strive to give him a well-kept garden. Our impure motives like and our desires that are out of God's scripture are like the weeds. We need to do everything we can to starve them. We need to uproot them. The weeds such as lust and greed and unforgiveness and bitterness. Those things need to be uprooted and pulled out of there. And we should constantly be on watch to make sure that they never take root. How many know that it's one thing if you've got a flower bed, you've know, got a flower bed in the front. It's got the mulch laid out. It's one thing if every time you're out there, you pick up the one or two or three things that are trying to sprout up in there and you get it out of there. It's another thing if you let it go for months and you decide, hey, I need to clean that up. To me, that kind of describes a purity of heart. I love our relationship with Christ because we ask him in and he comes along and he helps us clean things up and get things in a, in a right state. But if we, if we cultivate it, if we're, if we're careful and we live our lives striving for a pure heart and when we see those things begin to rise up and we begin to ask God to show us those things when they begin to take root that we can find them where they're still small and you can just reach down and go, boop, no thank you. Scripture is full of those that lived out their faith with a pure heart. As a result, they were blessed. I thought of Ruth. I mean, here's a lady that not, did not have happy days. She lost her husband. She lost her father-in-law. And yet we see a purity of heart in her. Telling her mother, go, I will go where you go. I will live where you live. And your God will be my God. And because of that faithfulness and that purity of heart through that whole thing, God blessed her incredibly. Then my mind went to David. David is a man that was described as being after God's own heart, yet we see his greatest sin with Bathsheba is this horrible thing that even led to the death of Uriah. But you think about that whole story, one of the things that I've always admired about David was purity of heart was important to him. When he was confronted by the prophet and his sin was exposed. His response is Psalms 51. I love reading Psalms 51 because here is a man whose most horrible moment has been laid bare. And his response to God tells us so much about who he is. But especially verse 10. Where he says this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What is the difference between King Saul and King David? They both made their mistakes. But when David failed, his desire was to get that pure heart back. He was repentant. He was forgiven. 
and he was blessed. See, purity of heart fights spiritual heart disease. Pure heart is a... You know, when we ask Christ in our life, we get to start with a cleansed new heart. And and we have a personal commitment to to give our life to Christ and to follow Him and to walk with Him. And as I said, kind of keep that as a pure garden. But it cannot be produced by our will alone. Though our will does play a part, God needs to help us. And God helps us in these things. The thing I love about our relationship with God is he doesn't have all these lists of rules and things we've got to live up. And he doesn't just look at us and say, good luck doing that. But his spirit comes and helps us and empowers us. And the more we reach out to him with a pure heart, the more he, he comes in and the more he moves in us and the more things that we used to adore, all of a sudden we abhor now. I love what he told Ezekiel, the prophet in 30, Ezekiel 36, 26. Talking to him, he said this, and I think this is good for all of us. Talking to Ezekiel, he said, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If God, in the power of his spirit, helped Ezekiel, he will help you and I live this thing out if we will strive to pursue a pure heart. But it's only produced by coming to Christ. It's only produced by opening our heart and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Because I'm telling you, it's a lifelong process. Always quoted like this, anytime we think we've arrived, anytime we think, hey, I'm pretty holy, I've got this together, I've got a pure heart, the Holy Spirit comes along and shines his flashlight over in the corner and says, what about that? It is, it's a lifelong process. We don't arrive until we arrive. But he will help us. It's our job to tend the garden and daily checking our heart and asking for forgiveness when we're off the mark. Because 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? That he is so faithful. We have to aim for purity in our lives. You know, we can't just take a halfway shot at it. Never forget one of the John Wayne movies. My dad loved westerns. So we watched a lot of them when I was growing up. His philosophy was there was no such thing as a bad one, just some were a little better than others. And I'll never forget one of, the, one of the John Wayne movies where there's this situation and there's this fight and shootout in this saloon. You know, it seems like it always happens in saloons. And this one guy had the drop on him and somebody else decided to jump to his defense, defense and pull their gun and shot the guy that was just about to drop John Wayne. And, and the minute it was over with, he did thank him for saving his life, but he said, you need some help with your gun skills. And the guy was, what? I got him. He said, yes, but if you'd been two foot further back, you'd have missed him. He said, we've got to hone in your aim a little bit. And I think we need to do that with our, with our sense of pursuing purity. Sometimes we think just shooting from the hip and just kind of headed in the general direction is good enough. Did you know... When they sinned, 
a rocket or a lander or whatever to the moon, that if they're off by just one degree, they will miss the moon by over a million miles. Think about that. That's the importance of having the aim and aiming for purity in a right right fashion. And as you go along, making little course corrections when you find yourself getting off the mark. Because if we want purity, we don't want years down the road to realize that we're off the mark. You know, Pure heart is so much more than just our actions. It's the motivations to what we do. How many know we can do the right things for the wrong reasons? But when we do the right things with the right heart, we are blessed. You know, I saw this, I thought it was pretty good. A little boy was sitting in church and he was asked by his mom, do you know what a saint is? And they were in a big cathedral type church with stained glass windows and the little boy was trying to figure out his answer and he looked around and he realized that in all those glass windows were different saints. And finally he said, I guess it's the people that let the light shine through. Good answer. Because a person that has a purity of heart remains transparent to God's light. You know, somebody that really has a purity of heart, they don't have to tell you they have purity of heart. You just kind of know. So let's talk about the last one. Where he said, they will see God. Seeing God. Not only does it say the pure in heart will be blessed, but it adds this promise, they will see God. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that. And I'll just say this, I'm seriously contemplating doing a little series on the end times because I really believe a lot of what we're seeing going on around us is setting the stage for the end times. Am I, am I the only one that feels like there's been a shift in the atmosphere? And, and so as you think about those things, it may not be as, you know, it's one of those things that I've heard Jesus is coming back soon my whole life. But all of a sudden, the idea of being complacent is a little scary. So I believe in my heart that this is a very real promise that we will see God. But I believe we'll see him more than just heaven. That We'll see him in two ways. I believe we will see him in the reality of this world. And we will see him in the reality of the next world. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the reality of this world. See, pure heart will see God by experiencing him in the reality of this life. During the Lord's earthly ministry, multitudes looked, I mean, think about this, multitudes looked right at him and did not see him for who he was. We get to see him in this life because we see him for who he is. Even though we don't get to see him in the flesh at this point. We get to see the activities of him in our life. We get to see him move around us. We, you, know, you take somebody that, that is a believer, even when things go wrong, somebody that really has a purity of heart will point out all the ways that God was even with them through those unhappy times. 
That, oh, yeah, we went through this, but God showed me here, and God showed me here, and God showed me here that he was with me through this, and that I was going to come out on the other end. A true believer with purity of heart always sees God in those circumstances. A lot of people want to say seeing is believing. I say experiencing is believing. Because I believe that he is with me because I've experienced it again and again and again. And I know his nature doesn't change. See, purity of heart removes the obstacles that distort the true image of who he is. So I believe that's one way that the pure in heart see God because we see God in everything. In every aspect of our lives while we're here on earth. talking to an insurance agent last night and he was talking about he found out I was a pastor and he was talking about his prayer life and things and so forth and and he and he said you know he goes you know he goes I just when we talk about prayer he goes I just believe that you just kind of have a conversation with God he said people kind of try to make it in this formal thing I said I'm right there with you I said I have my I have my more structured prayer time I said trust me there's an all day long conversation going on as I go about my day And if you have that kind of relationship and you're trying to live a life that's purity of heart, it's okay to take him with you all day long. (laughs) If you don't have a pure heart, though, there might be those moments you're like, God, won't you stay here for a moment while I'm doing this? There is something about that purity of heart that just like, you know, I see him in everything. Now, I'm not saying my heart's 100% pure because I don't think anybody gets there yet. But in the happy times, we can see past the temporary joy. In the sad times, we can see past the difficulty and understand who's walking with us. See, I think too often we stress looking forward of seeing God or saying, oh yeah, we will see him one day. I'm telling you, you can see him in all kinds of things in your life today while you walk this earth. Because you can know that he is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Let's talk about seeing God in the reality of this next world. Yes, as Christians, we're living, we're supposed to be living for the next world. And the great news is we get to live a blessed life here while we're waiting for the next thing. It's, I mean, it's the ultimate win-win, right? And we get, you know, kind of look at it like this. We get a blessed life here and then the dessert course comes. Where we can have the icing and the cherry on top. And we get a reward. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. There will come that face-to-face moment. I mean, what, what an incredible moment that's going to be. There ought to be something in us that looks forward to that day. Because all the stuff that we face be passed and we'll get to see the one that gave his life for us we'll be welcomed in we will get to see him and walk in that light but maybe you're here and you're asking the question well why can't I 
see God? Why can't I be as sure as others around me that he's with me in all these things? Could it be that you still have a little heart disease? Could it be that there's roots of doubt, bitterness, and things in your life that cause you not to see him in the fashion that you should see him? Jesus gave his life so that we could have a purity of heart. That all the stuff, all the bitterness, all the things that are in the way that we could truly get a sense of who he is. There is something about when the Holy Spirit draws us. There is something about when we feel that tugging in our heart. There is something about when we release and surrender and he just comes in and he cleanses us and his presence permeates our life and we begin to follow him and live our life for him and let him work that purity process in us and that we do our part to help and to follow. That when we do those things, It's amazing how that the the joy comes and the peace comes and the blessings come and we see life differently. For some of you that have asked Christ in your life and and he's come upon your life and he's transformed you, you know, there is nothing like when you have that first encounter and you get up from the altar or, or wherever it happened in your life and all of a sudden life is different. But if we're not careful, sometimes even with that, we can let the, the things of this world, the cares, we can let stuff come in and take root and begin to, to, to find inroads into our lives and we can begin to lose that joy and that peace that we have. We can begin to lose that assurance. And there's something about when we go back and we say, Lord, I want you to clean me up like you did before. I want you to take the stuff that I've let and help me work in this and, and help me... D- Pick out the things that I need to uproot and pull out and and help me through that process and help me become the person that I'm supposed to be. And begin to purify our hearts with his help. That all of a sudden things begin to change. And we can walk in that blessing. And we can see him here. And we can know we will see him there. So I guess my question is this. We talked about purity of heart fights spiritual heart disease. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching on the live stream and you say, you know what? I need that. My heart maybe isn't as pure as it should be. Or maybe you've never had that encounter with Christ that has truly set you free. That can be available for you. Don't let the cares of this world, don't let all the junk and and stuff crowd you out because I'm telling you, this is what really matters. There is nothing you will find in this world that will satisfy like a purity of heart and a right relationship with him. Despite circumstances, I can go to bed at night knowing that it is well with my soul. I can get up the next day, even if I know heading in it's going to be a difficult day, I can know it is well with my soul. I can know that I have that purity of heart. Why would you want to live any other way? If you're watching online or you're here this morning, I want you to just bow your heads for a moment. And I want you to do your own heart exam. What does the purity level of your heart feel like to you? Does there need to be 
a little bit of a cleaning up. If that's you, I challenge you to ask God right now to help you with that. If you feel that tugging in your spirit and you haven't committed your life to Christ, then respond to that today and let him come in and do your work, that work in your life. Don't put it off. Surrender. I'm going to pray for you, for those of you that are here and for those that are online. But if you make a commitment to that, if you, if you make a commitment to Christ this morning or if there's some things in your life that, you, that you're asking the Lord to help you with purity, I don't need to know details, but I would love to know that something about this spoke to you today and how I, we can pray for you. Can we do that today? Father, Lord, you see each and every person. You see their circumstance. Lord, you know how they woke up this morning. You know the true condition of their heart. Lord, I pray that each person here, Lord, that you would give them a glimpse of how you see their heart. Lord, there'd be a a holy awakening to their status so that they can see clearly. And Lord, that you begin to draw them you begin to show them, Lord, if they do know you, but things that they need to work on and clean, clean up to purify their hearts. Lord, if they don't know you, Lord, that you begin to draw them, Lord, to the place of surrender, that they will surrender to you, Lord Jesus, and commit their life to you. Lord, I ask you to do that today. Lord, I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice so that even will listen to this later. Lord, that we would, we would all do a purity of heart check. Because Lord, when our hearts are purified by you, we're blessed and we will see you. Lord, we thank you for it. We give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all and thank you for tuning in and thank you for being here today.